the next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Sprawlcast is a show made in collaboration with CGSW 90.9 FM in Calgary, and we are broadcasting slash podcasting on Treaty 7 land. Sprawlcast is a show for Albertans who want more than the daily news grind. We go deep to bring you stories you won't hear anywhere else. Administration has assessed that none of the business cases should be approved. No question that uh, that members of council were heavily lobbied and uh, with emails and phone calls and texts. Calgary's next election is coming up fast. It's less than a year away. The home building industry is one of the biggest contributors to municipal campaigns in this city. And as you just heard from Councillor Diane Colley-Urquhart, developers are pressuring councillors to approve a new batch of communities on Calgary's outskirts. There's nothing particularly new about that. What is new is that the housing market has slowed in recent years due to the collapse of oil prices but developers have still plowed ahead with new communities, and City Council has gone along, ignoring the warnings of City Administration when Council approved 14 new communities in 2018. Calgarians paid the price for that, literally. They paid with a 0.75% property tax increase last year to cover these new communities. On top of that, the city had a $57 million budget shortfall in 2019 because developer levies weren't keeping up with the infrastructure costs of connecting these new communities with the rest of the city. City Hall is expecting another levy shortfall in 2021, and those costs get passed to you on your utility bill. Developers now want City Council to approve 11 more projects, and this is slated to go before Council the week of November 2nd. We'll get into that, but first let's take a quick look at what's happening with those 14 communities Council approved two years ago. Construction was supposed to be well underway by now, but due to a soft housing market, housing construction has only begun in two of the 14 communities. Here's Matthew Sheldrake, the city's acting manager of growth. Approximately 100 units have been built or started construction. This is about 0.2% of the total expected build-out in these 14 communities. The boom days in Calgary are over, at least for the foreseeable future. For the first time that I've been looking at these numbers, we actually have negative interprovincial migration and negative international migration uh, to Canada as a result of COVID and so on. So it is very possible that the city of Calgary will only see a tiny increase or maybe even a decline in our growth going forward. That was Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. The audio you're going to hear in this episode is from City Council's Priorities and Finance Committee meeting on October 19th. That's where developers pitched their cases to council members, and numerous Calgarians urged council to stand up to the industry and say no. City Admin said, point blank, that it doesn't recommend approving any of these 11 projects right now, in part because there's already more than enough housing supply on the market, 
especially after Council approved the 14 communities in 2018. There are 41 communities under development in Calgary right now, including the 14. City Admin says it has already committed funding for 12 years worth of single and semi-detached supply and 18 years of multi-unit supply. In other words, City Admin believes that it has greenlit enough housing supply to last until 2032 and 2038, respectively. A healthy, competitive market offering choice of housing types and locations around the city already exists in the 27 actively developing and 14 communities, and a further three years of city-funded supply capacity is not required at this time to maintain housing affordability. That's Sean Small, a senior growth management planner with the city. Small cited the findings of a recent CMHC housing assessment report. It indicates in the Calgary Census metropolitan area, completed and unsold units continue to trend upwards above a critical level in the second quarter of 2020, approaching an historic high that was reached in the first quarter of 2001. Admin also highlighted something that City Hall ignored in 2018, the City's climate action goals. Adding capacity for new community growth at this time challenges the City's commitments to minimizing our footprint and reaching the goals of the climate resilience strategy, such as reducing our 2005 emissions by 80% by 2050. These new communities would be largely car-reliant, putting more cars on the road. So, with all of that in mind, Admin gave some pretty clear advice to Council. Investment supporting developed areas and the completion of actively developing communities should be prioritized first and second before new growth. In conclusion, at this time, advancing these business cases for development does not align with the MDP CTP policy. You just heard Sean Small mention the MDP and CTP. He was referring to the Municipal Development Plan and Calgary Transportation Plan, two long-range plans that are supposed to guide Calgary's growth for the next half century. Before we go any further, I want to address a matter of terminology. There's been some controversy about the term new communities. Developers and some city councillors have argued that labeling these as new communities is a misnomer that a bunch of these are, in fact, completing existing communities. To be clear, Kavanaugh is not a new community. Located in the Glacier Ridge ASP, it will join Qualico's actively, actively developing Ambleton community next door to the west. Our application is not for a large-scale, comprehensively developed subdivision or integrated community. It's for a small parcel adjacent to an existing approved development. Some of the 11 are actually quite small parcels of land. One, for example, is basically a seniors' complex. But counting communities that haven't been built is tricky because defining a community is basically a marketing effort. Largely, uh, developers control whether they're creating a new community or not. Um, they determine whether they want to market their area uh, as a new community. And then they go through a process uh, at council to get an, a community name approved. Uh, in this particular case with the 11, uh, administration's best guess at this particular time is there would probably be about three new communities out of the 11. Uh, the remainder would be completing uh, areas that have already been opened up. The city has taken to calling these applications business cases instead of new communities. 
But here's an important point. Even the small parcels that are completing other communities still need city infrastructure. For example, Belvedere on the east side of the city is where five of these 11 proposals are located. In Belvedere, there is already more area open for development than the transportation infrastructure can support, and there is no permanent stormwater infrastructure and no certainty on timing of water and sanitary infrastructure. Okay, now that we have that terminology stuff out of the way, let's get into it. At City Hall on October 19th, developers made the cases for why their projects are exceptional. We believe that the city of Calgary position, that there is an oversupply of housing on a global basis in Calgary, does not apply in our case because we're proposing a unique development a in a specific area of the city that we believe is underserved with affordable seniors-focused housing. With Crestmont nearing completion, this development is necessary to maintain market continuity in the area. We truly believe this is a self-sustaining sector of compact development in the southeast. Although developers were pitching city councillors on these projects, they were also pitching the public. This community does not cost the city an additional dime, will not cause property tax rates to increase. Approval of this no-cost and no-risk business case demonstrates that Calgary is open for business. There is no direct incremental operating cost gap. City operating costs for the business case are zero, meaning there's no incremental operating cost gap. Okay, we need to pause it right there. That last speaker was Ben Mercer of Qualico Communities. You heard him and some of the others talking about incremental operating cost gap. Let's look at that more closely. When we're looking at city budgets, there are two kinds of costs, capital and operating. Capital is for stuff that gets built libraries, roads, pipes, and so on. Operating costs are for keeping everything running, transit hours, fire service, and whatnot. Now, at this meeting, developers were talking up how their projects would have no incremental operating cost gap. But what does that mean? Here's Councillor Drew Farrell questioning Ben Mercer of Qualico. So I'd like you to explain a bit what you mean by no op cost. Thank you. Hi, uh, through the chair to Councillor Farrell, thank you for the question. Uh, maybe to clarify, we didn't mean that there are no operating costs associated with the development. It, it's the way it's phrased in the, in the administration report is that there's no incremental operating cost gap. So that just means that I guess all of the services required um, to operate uh, the development are, are in place and that, that they'd be covered by the tax revenue this came up again later in the meeting. So Councillor Farrell had this conversation with one of the proponents and I wasn't particularly satisfied with the answer. And it has to do with how we say there are no operating cost implications. Because I assume that when you build, start to build a neighborhood, before people move in, you've got roads and you've got parks and presumably those need to be swept and shoveled and mowed. Um, and so our operating cost ticker, even though, even if there's not a fire hall, which is the big operating cost, but our operating cost ticker sort of starts at the beginning. And for services like police, where we may not be adding anybody, we are uh, increasing the area that each police car has to cover. When we were evaluating those operating costs for each business case, what we were looking for is not whether the business case had operating costs, but whether the property tax that was being generated based on their build-out 
timeline was offsetting what those operating costs would be and again this is just the direct incremental operating costs and not the total operating costs that the city would be having to spend in these communities. These costs that aren't covered include things like libraries and transit buses. And so what are the real financial costs if these 11 projects all go ahead? This is Kathy Davies Murphy, the city's manager of growth funding. What you asked was what are the operating expenditures that we would expect? And so in the next budget cycle, 2023 to 2026, um, these 11 business cases would add just short of $23 million to our operating expenditures. And while the analysis shows that if they are the only communities going forward, they would generate property taxes, what we know is that we've already accounted for those increased property taxes. And so there's no net new revenue anticipated early. This is so important because this is kind of talking about what I said before, which is if you look at these individually, each of them makes sense. But if you look at them collectively and realize that they are all double counting the same amount of property tax revenue, if council were to uh, approve all of them, then we would be looking at 23 million or a 1.5% tax increase. Did I say that right? Yes, that's correct. Wow. Here's Councillor Evan Woolley. I, I'm wondering if we could repeat just that early part of that one more time on the double counting, because I think I got it, but can I get that really clearly one more time? I can. I can try. The challenge here is that every single one of these assumes property tax revenue, right? When you, when you saw the business cases, you saw that. However, there is, we do not believe in our supply and demand forecast that there's enough demand for every single one of these to achieve every single one of those property tax revenue forecasts because there's only so many people moving to Calgary and so many houses being bought. And so Ms. Davies Murphy is suggesting that what you're actually looking at overall is a $23 million operating budget increase without corresponding revenue. Does that make sense? 100%. Thank you. And this isn't a one-time shortfall. It would recur annually from 2023 to 2026, according to Davies Murphy. In the meantime, the city has its annual budget deliberations in late November. Councillor Woolley raised this at the meeting and hinted at what's coming. Frankly, I'm hearing rumblings of some pretty significant potential cuts to a bunch of infrastructure in existing communities. Okay, enough of all that budget stuff. At this meeting, Mayor Nenshi took umbrage with something a developer had said a few days earlier. Here's Nenshi speaking to Ben Mercer of Qualico Communities. Mr. Mercer, I'm going to ask you a difficult question, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot on it. But I was very surprised, very surprised, to see uh, in uh, an article printed on the internet that your company made the assertion that saying no to these projects means Calgary is closed for business. Nenshi was referring to a story in Livewire Calgary. Qualico told Livewire that if council followed admin's advice and didn't approve the communities, it would be, quote, a signal that Calgary is closed for business. Not good news given the challenges with the pandemic and other business sectors in Calgary, end quote. Um, surprising thing to say because it implies that 
you don't believe in the regulatory process and that in a city that is open for business would allow anyone to build anything anywhere. I wanted to give you the opportunity to clarify your comments if you could. And they're not your comments, but they were your company's comments. Hi, Ben here. Thanks for that question. Um, I, would, I would begin by clarifying that that's certainly not uh, the intent behind those comments to suggest that we don't respect the regulatory process or that we're not all on the same team here. All on the same team. Well, some council members were certainly giving that impression more than others. Here's Councillor Joe Maglioka asking questions of city administration. So if this is approved, how many jobs uh, would these new communities create? And what kind of jobs would those be? So through your worship, through administration's evaluation, our opinion is the city doesn't gain in job creation because the same number of homes are only gonna be built across the city. And therefore you might get jobs occurring in different areas of the city if these get approved, but overall you wouldn't gain in jobs because the amount of demand is only finite and does not change with the approval of these new communities. I beg the difference, you know, what about like landscapers, plumbers, drywallers, et cetera, roofers, you know, that creates hundreds and hundreds of jobs. You can't tell me it's not, but anyway. As you've probably heard, Councillor Maglioka is currently mired in scandal over his expense claims. The RCMP is looking into it, and Council just stripped Maglioka of his scheduled deputy mayor shift in February 2021. On October 19th, Councillor Maglioka asked why City Hall is interfering with the private sector at all. Why are we dictating to builders and developers what they can do and what they cannot do? They know better the market than you and I and everybody else in the city, the administration. They know what they have to sell to make a living. They know how to, they're businessmen, they're business people. They've been there for years and years. They know what kind of product to sell. So why should we handcuff them? Later, Meglioka put similar questions to developers. Here he is talking to George Trutina of Truman Homes. Hey George, it's uh, Joe. Hey listen, you know, I, you're a very smart guy. You've been in this business for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Would you not know the product better than the administration? Of what sells, what does not sell? Well, sure I do. Mm -hmm. if, I, uh, if I don't know, I wouldn't be trying to do what I wanted to do for all these years. It went along like this for a while. Do you agree with me that Administration is dictating where you should build and how you should build and when you should build? Question of privilege, well, Your yeah, Worship. That's Councillor Jyoti Gondek jumping in. Question of privilege. I'm wondering if Councillor Malioka is blatantly trying to say that our administration doesn't know what they're doing. If that's the case, I'd like him to just say so. You know, it's not a question of privilege, but I think it is a fair comment. Uh, in any case, back to you, Councillor Malioka. Thank you. And uh, George, like, you, you invest your own money and you want to make sure that the investment that you make and you employ hundreds and hundreds of people, you know what you're doing, correct? Sometimes I do. We're going to hear now from some of the folks who presented to city councillors on October 19th. One of the more noteworthy presentations was by Matt Osborne, 
of the City Firefighters Union. Osborne warned that the city was stretching its fire services to the limit. Our concern is is that the city continues to get bigger and bigger and the fire department budget has been getting smaller and smaller. We are now more than ever at the breaking point. As these communities develop, the Calgarians who choose to live there must have adequate fire service. It should not be more dangerous to live on the edges of the city. Osborne talked about how some trucks are operating with two people, due to budget cuts, when they should have four. For example, just last year at this time, there was a fire in the new community of Legacy. The fire hall that was approved to be built in the new community of Walden to cover this new area had been delayed and delayed from being funded and built. On this day, Fire Hall 26 was covered with a two-person fire truck with no hose and no water. Since the delay in building the Walden Legacy Fire Hall continues, Shaughnessy Fire Hall number 26 has been covering this expanded district. Speaking to the lieutenant that was responsible on this first arriving truck, he talked about how difficult it was to stand on the sidewalk in front of these houses to try to explain why they unfortunately could not start battling this fast-growing fire that was starting to spread to this Calgarian's house because they don't carry hose and water on this specialty fire truck. They waited six more minutes before a fire engine with hose, water and more firefighters arrived, which could then work to keep the fire under control. Unfortunately, it had then engulfed this Calgarian's house. We're going to hear now from citizens who spoke to council. First up, we'll hear Greg Miller, Sylvia Anderson, and then Ada and Siri. I listened to my friends talk, and I'm sad to say, I think Calgarians have come to expect councillors to act as lobbyists for the development industry. While they may expect this, I believe they will no longer accept it. Calgary is presently experiencing the greatest financial crisis it has seen in decades. Our economy has been devastated with the oil crisis, resulting in a significant decline in demand for new housing. Our tax base has been decimated with the loss of downtown business occupancy and the resultant pressure on existing residential taxation. Communities approved for development in 2018, a decision opposed by your own city administrators, remain undeveloped for tax purposes. This decision, if approved, would contribute to uncontrolled urban sprawl, is not consistent with the city's municipal development plan and further stains existing city strains, existing city services such as public transportation and emergency services. Why do you want to approve new communities that will continue increasing carbon emissions like those in 2018? Why do you want to continue building the city of yesterday? Attracting private investment and people in the city of tomorrow won't be done through new developments. My generation and younger generations want a vibrant inner city, not endless driving in subdivisions on the edge of the city. We want a climate-friendly city. Now we'll hear from Joan Lawrence of the Calgary Climate Hub and Dr. Tesfa Michael Gebrehiwet of the Eritrean Canadian Community Association. When we create communities that are built for cars, we force lower-income families to pay a larger portion of either their income or their time to get to work and to participate in social life. As a personal example, just before COVID, my son's high school basketball team went to a tournament in the Southwest. Many of the players are kids from the Northeast. It took them two hours one way to get there by transit. 
That's not equity. That's telling their young people that there are areas of the city that are unavailable to them unless they have money for a car. We talk about climate justice and equity, but what does that mean in the context of a city like Calgary? It means that everyone should have access to low-cost and low-carbon transportation methods. Fixing what we've already built will be difficult, but we can at least avoid continuing to make the same mistakes by continuing to expand ever outward. We are also concerned that urban sprawl will stretch our public libraries, police services, fire and social services. We believe the Calgary of the future should be compact, with workable neighborhoods, good transit, with shops and offices close by, thus creating the kind of city that attracts new businesses and the young people of our city. This is Reverend Anna Greenwood-Lee of the Calgary Alliance for the Common Good, followed by Bob Morrison. And so at a time when you're looking at service cuts, it makes no sense to be investing in new communities. Cast your mind back to last year's budget deliberations and to how many people from the Alliance came out in support of the low-income transit pass and to how many citizens from across the city came out to save our swimming pools and save our rec centres. The citizens of Calgary are not interested in and will not tolerate cuts to existing services in existing neighbourhoods in order to subsidise development in new neighbourhoods that we don't need at this time. On climate action and support for the most vulnerable, I see nothing in the business cases that will help Calgary deal with those issues. On the contrary, if the business cases were approved, greenhouse gas emissions will rise and the vulnerable living in those areas will be isolated without the transportation, healthcare, social services, and other supports they need. The last two voices we'll hear are Noel Keogh of Sustainable Calgary and Joan Lawrence with the Calgary Climate Hub. Keogh talked about how citizens have worked with City Hall to set direction over the past couple decades and how that work shouldn't be undermined. We have put in the time and Imagine Calgary and in Municipal Development Plan and in the Low Carbon Economy Report and in the Resilience Report and on and on and on. And I think most of the people that I speak to are very frustrated that we continuously have to come back to these forums and fight for what we agreed upon many times over the past 20 years. We know that continuing to put most of our growth in greenfield development makes it more difficult to meet our carbon targets. That's why the MDP says that 50% of population growth should be in established areas. So instead of spending hundreds of millions of dollars building pipes and roads to developments we do not need, let's invest in the communities we already have and build a better future for all Calgarians. Please say no to the 11 new business cases. Thank you. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. Listening to Sprawlcast. I'm Jeremy Clausus and I'm the editor in chief of The Sprawl. You can find a full transcript of this episode on our website at sprawlcalgary.com. You can find us on social media, all the big platforms. Our handle is at sprawlcalgary. 
Our theme music is by Dandy Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening and see you next time.